If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A lot of fun stuff today for the next eight weeks. If you thought chapter 11 was controversial, I mean, you got the first third of that talking about male and female and women respecting themselves and respecting their husbands and the way they, they dress when they come together for worship. If you thought that was controversial, just a third of that chapter. The next two-thirds are about the body and the blood, the Lord's Supper, the meal where this church was coming together to celebrate Christ's body by getting drunk off the communion wine. If you thought that was controversial... You just wait for the next eight weeks because chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 are all about spiritual gifts working within the church. Paul deals a a massive amount of, of writing to discuss these spiritual gifts that makes every reform guy's sphincter just get a little tight already. So, but hold on, put your seatbelt on. You've got the study guide, I hope. I wrote all eight chapters, walking through chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, because as you know, I grew up Pentecostal, so I had lots of questions when I was reading my Bible about this stuff. I have spent hundreds of hours working through my new uh, pneumatology, my understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives to the church. I'm very excited about walking through these chapters with you. And I hope that you will allow me to to minister to you and point you towards Jesus as we read about these spiritual gifts. So are you with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read seven verses, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that no man or woman in this room is all by themselves. Father, you, you cause us to gather together in your name and for your glory. And here we feel the encouragement uh, and, and the ministry of your spirit through your people, your, our brothers and sisters together. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking a diverse group like us from, from all corners of, of the world and bringing us together, uh, Lord Jesus, and unifying us in your body and your blood. Father, may we continue to see your gifts on display. Empower us with your spirit so we can be good brothers and sisters to one another, uh, achieving the common good that you have for us. It is in Jesus' name. Every Christian said, amen. Now, concerning spiritual gifts. Paul, 
We've seen this before, like in chapter 7. Paul's now answering their questions that they have. This is a church that has a lot of spiritual gifts uh, uh, being used uh, in their corporate gathered worship services. And some of it's getting a little funky and freaky and a little weird. So people in the church have got questions about these gifts that people seem to have. And so Paul is writing to, he doesn't say, stop doing that. He doesn't say, hey, those gifts are, were just for a time. They're, they're not for uh, the church anymore. He doesn't say that. But he says, hey, gifts are real. God gives gifts to the church for the good of the whole church. But you're doing it wrong. Stop doing it the way you're doing it and do it like this. These are spiritual gifts. That word, charismata, uh, these are gifts of, when we, when we hear the word spiritual, right? And isn't there just a lot of paranormal stuff in our culture today? Everybody's obsessed with UFOs and cover-ups and paranormal activity and ghosts and let's catch a ghost. We're the real Ghostbusters. There's like 75 ghost shows on television right now. But this word, listen, this is going to be our new moniker for the next several weeks. When we were walking through chapter 11, we got just be cool, right? Just be cool. You can, you can wear what you want. Just be cool. Well, over the next eight weeks, here, here, here's the new tagline for us. Don't be weird. <laughs> Don't be weird. The word spiritual, everybody's Right, let's Doctor Who kind of stuff, Star Trek, uh, spirituality. And, and let, let's face it, the world is a spirit. Even unbelievers are very spiritual people, right? Uh, we got hot yoga. We got all kinds of meditation practices. Uh, God created us. There is a, an unseen element, the element of spirit, the element of, of soul. This body is just a temple. It, it, it holds us until the day where we're going to be released from this body. We are a spiritual people. There is a spiritual realm. We talked about uh, demons a few weeks ago in chapter 10. Might talk about them a little more today. There is an unseen reality that we need to know about, understand, while not being weird. Most people that get into spiritual stuff just get really weird. I'm just going to ask you, don't be weird. Because this word spiritual, these gifts that are spiritual, oh, that, that word charismatic is actually grace. These are gifts of grace that God gives to us for our benefit. That's how I want you to see this right here. Paul sets this up so well with the origin of these gifts and the purpose. We're going to talk about the origin and the purpose of spiritual gifts within the church this morning. Before we get there, though, let's just take a little, let's have a little history lesson. Because this is, can be an explosive thing. We need, we need to know why chapters 12, 13, and 14 are in the Bible. Uh, and we need to know why some have great animosity for these, for these chapters. In fact, most of the people that would say, this one verse in chapter 11, we've got to do it just the way they did it back then. We get to chapter 12, 13, like, oh, no, that doesn't mean what it says. <laughs> that can't be right. Right, but this also, chapter 11 is God's word. This also is God's word. We gotta be serious. So, so what's the problem in our culture? Why are, why are our Christians so divided when we come to these groups? 
Well, most people track it back to a revival that occurred in, of all places, California. You, you can thank California for all the weird stuff. So, so in California, there was this revival called the Azusa Street Revivals. And it really put what we know as Pentecostalism uh, at the forefront. Now, now remember, now, pe- Pentecostal is not a bad word. It's a Bible word. It simply means this event, this prophecy that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2. I mean, Peter quoted from Joel, this is that thing that was prophesied. This is its fulfillment. Pentecostals, they take the word from that. Uh, So there's nothing really wrong with the name, but some of the actions, well, let's talk about it. Because it can be weird, right? So a hundred years ago, there's this huge revival. William J. Seymour uh, starts preaching in a fish market and revival breaks out. And this revival uh, has in it these ecstatic expressions of worship and tongues and interpretation, which we'll talk lots more about over the next eight weeks. If you're not into tongues and interpretation, you might hate the next eight weeks. We're going to talk about it a lot. You're going to want to shoot yourself. Hang in there with me because it's in there a lot. So these things started happening. Pentecostalism takes form and dozens of of denominations uh, were started in those early 1900s. The denomination I was raised in started just a few years before that Azusa Street uh, revival. There was a revival at the Shears Schoolhouse over in North Carolina. The Church of God out of Cleveland, Tennessee was born a Pentecostal denomination. The revival centered around tongues, prophecy, and interpretation. Which, by the way, next week when we get to the list of gifts here... Those are the three you really have to watch out for. The rest of them are very simple. They're spiritual gifts, gifts of grace, but they're very easy to understand. Uh, We've seen a lot of bad practice with these these first things. The Pentecostal church brought all that to the forefront. And along with the ecstatic experiences, they brought doctrine that wasn't found in the Bible. What they would say, this is what Pentecostal doctrine teaches it teaches that, well, yeah, we, we make decisions for Christ, we get saved, we join churches, and that's all fine and good, but there's something else. There is a second blessing. Salvation is the first blessing, but to be truly on varsity team Christian, you got to get to the second blessing. And don't you know, man, we've studied Galatians, Jesus plus nothing equals Everything, anytime somebody's trying to add something to the gospel, you just, yeah, right, red flags should start waving, which flags are waved in a lot of charismatic churches. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. But, here's, but, but the theology that was coming out of the Pentecostal movement, and again, I say this respectfully because this is my family. Remember, it's my great uncle. It's my grandfather. It's my father who are in the hall of prophets in the Pentecostal church denomination. Uh, they, they were pioneers of the movement. I say all this respectfully, but... Second blessing theology is just bad theology, and it's not in the Bible. Well, Brent, how did they get there? They got there from the book of Acts. Because in Acts chapter 2 
Acts chapter 10, uh, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, a God-fearer. And in Acts chapter 19, through the preaching of Paul, the Holy Spirit falls on people and they speak in another tongue as a result of those occurrences. Here's the deal. It's in the Bible. There it is. They had a, a second. It was their salvation experience you need to understand. First and foremost, people who speak in tongues are not more spiritual than people who don't. But the second blessing says, no, it's Jesus first. Then you get spirit baptized and you got to speak in tongues just like they did in Acts. Here's the thing about Acts. Acts is a historical book. There is no verse in the book of Acts that says you must speak in tongues to be spirit baptized. That's not a verse found anywhere in the Bible. But we're looking back. These things happen here, here, and here. And when you tell them, well, what about these two other places in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes upon people and they don't speak in tongues? Every true Pentecostal will tell you, oh, well, it's just not recorded, but they actually did there. That's called an argument from silence. It's bad theology. Let me ask you a question. Can we learn from historical books? Of course, we learn tons from the book of Acts. We learn how to be on fire, full of God's spirit, to plant churches and minister to people so that people get saved. There's a lot we can learn from the book of Acts. But do we do everything just because the people in Acts did something? Let me ask you a question. How many of you feel like it's necessary to sell any land that you have and give all the money to the church? I was hoping for one or two hands. <laughs> right, that happened in the book of Acts too. But of course, that just because it happened somewhere doesn't mean that's the way it always happens. Ananias and Sapphira drop dead because they lie about how much money they're, praise God, and God's not doing that a, a whole lot. Right? The church in Jerusalem, when it was born in Acts chapter 6, there's a lot of widows and they've got a, a feeding ministry for the widows that are involved with their church. And it gets so big, they have to hire six men. Uh, and they, they, point, they pick these men out and they make these men uh, serve over the, the table so that uh, Peter and James, John, those guys can continue the preaching. Right? Does that mean every church has to have a widow's feeding ministry where six guys are running? No, it's a historical book. There's no doctrinal piece anywhere that says in order to really be varsity, spirit-baptized Christian, you have to speak in tongues. It's not there. But that's what the Pentecostals brought to the table. And then by the time we get to the 60s, ton, tons of new denominations but by the time we get to the 60s, through something called the charismatic renewal. I used to use the word charismatic. I don't use it anymore. I'm going to tell you what I use now because uh, there's just so much baggage tied to it. It's not a bad word either. Just like Pentecostal is not a bad word. It's just a lot of baggage and some bad theology tied into it. But the charismatic renewal also started in California. You guys from California. <laughs> you know how weird it is there. That's why you're here now. <laughs> <laughs> charismatic renewal brought charismatic theology. Now, they dropped a lot of the hardline doctrine stuff. They dropped the whole second blessing and, and dogmatic, but there was still a heavy emphasis on, on tongues and interpretation and the gifts of the Spirit. 
And that it hit the mainline denominations. This is when, this is why there is a charismatic movement inside the Catholic Church. There's a charismatic movement inside the Episcopalian Church. There is a charismatic movement inside of a reformed churches. The charismatic renewal did all that with powerful teaching and, and powerful worship experiences. And then we got to the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, which is where we got third wave. Charismatics. Now, this is actually an awesome time in church history. This is a time when Keith Green got saved. Okay? All that great music. Bob Dylan actually got saved during the third wave revivals. I mean, he, I don't know if you know that Bob Dylan wrote a Christian album. I'm saved. Saved. Bone all over again. Well, come on. You got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the law, but everybody's going to serve them. That's not Bob Dylan. Amen. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hippies started getting saved left and right. Right here in Atlanta, if you are old enough to remember, huge revival back then. Paul Walker in the Mount Perrin Church, the central church, was grew overnight to be. Elmer Towns wrote a book in the 80s uh, that had Mount Perrin. This church right over here that birthed the school and all that stuff. Uh, I worked there for a year. Uh, that church was one of the 10 most influential churches in the country uh, during the, the third wave charismatic renewal. Again, a lot of the doctrine fell off. Uh, but, but man, you got people in the church now. The hippies came in wearing no shoes. They had just, they just got off an acid trip. And they hear the gospel and they get saved. And all of a sudden, this is when things really got weird. I mean, again, hippies. So if you want to know where firewalks come from and flopping in the floor like a fish, this is where it comes from. Hippies getting saved and not knowing any better. Third wave brought all kinds of crazy nonsense to where, and you know, I'm a kid. I'm growing up in this stuff. So when I actually do get saved, I'm going to my Bible going, where, where's the grave sucking come in again? Because there are churches, part of this third wave charismatic movement that, that will actually find famous Christians' graves. And they will go and they will lay down on the grave like planking, face down on the grave. And they'll go, because they believe that through faith, they are sucking the anointing that God put in the dead person from their bones and into their bodies so that they can now live in the anointing of C.S. Lewis or Smith Wigglesworth or, or, or some other uh, Christian figure from the past. Listen, uh, that's not in here. And it is 100% weird. It's just weird. I mean, you know, back when I was still using it, because I, I just got rid of the word charismatic uh, a couple years ago because I was just having so many questions about it. I got tired of asking, uh, of answering questions about what it means to be spirit-filled, what it means to be charismatic, to, to rightly understand and use the, the gifts of grace that the God gives the church. But one guy came up to me and he was like, so you're charismatic, bro? And I was like, yeah, I'm charismatic. I believe that chapters 12, 13, and 14 are just as real and just as powerful as all the rest of the Bible. It's in here. It's not just here either. It's Romans 12. It's Ephesians 4. It's throughout. 
And way more verses about spiritual gifts than head coverings. One verse about head coverings, chapters and chapters and chapters on spiritual gifts and how we're to use them to encourage one another and for the common good of us all. But one guy sat down, he was like, I just, man, I don't know if I can stay here at the church knowing you're charismatic. Are, are you ever going to make us do a fire walk? And I was just like, I don't, man, I grew up Pentecostal. I don't even know what a fire walk is. But again, evidently, some people from the church come up front and they, they stand like this. And on this side, they stand like this and they make a tunnel. And you're supposed to come and run through the tunnel so you can experience the power of the Holy Spirit. That's weird. Where does that come from? It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is always leading us to Jesus, not running through some dumb tunnel or blowing some animal horn like you're 2,000 years ago going into battle. That's weird. People come in and they're like, man, I had a neighbor one time. I, I really wanted to win this guy um, you know, he was, he was a Christian already. He was disgruntled where he was at. I was like, man, come to Four Points, bring your wife. So their family started coming for a while. And he was like, he's like, Brent, I love this church. He's like, I just got to ask you, man, uh, at my old church, I was, I was the leader of the flag waving team. Can, can I bring my flags and, and, and wave during worship? And I just looked at him and was like, no, <laughs> I don't even have to pray about that. That's just weird. And distracting. And why? Where's the bird? Why? It's just, it's just weird, man. Can I blow my show far? I told one guy, you can come at 6 o'clock in the morning when nobody's here and blow it out back. <laughs> you're not blowing it in here. It's weird. Don't be weird. Believe the Bible. Believe everything it says. Don't be weird. And don't try to make something spiritual that's not in the Bible. And even if it is in the Bible, understand it. Talk about context. Blowing a horn? An animal horn? It's weird, man. Yeah, they did that in battles in the ancient world to communicate to the guys giving their lives on the field when it was time to advance or retreat. No need for that in the gathered worship service in 2023. But we're fighting spiritual demons. We're on the battle. I get that. So blow your spiritual shofar in your head. <laughs> that didn't make it in first service. That was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I love it when he makes me funny. Right? So during this whole third wave stuff, there were churches that were like, this is crazy. This is nonsense. Guys like John MacArthur, of course he's going to write a book about the nonsense that he sees coming out of the charismatic renewal. I mean, people, let's all sing in tongues together, right? That's not in the Bible. That's weird. So, of course, John MacArthur, who I love. You know why I love John MacArthur? Because he gets the gospel right. 
But he has led a generation because of the bizarre, weird stuff that he saw. And rightly so. Somebody needs to stand up and say, that's not right. Paul needs to to write a book like he wrote to the Corinthians, to the modern church, saying, hey, don't do that. You're doing it wrong. This is the way it needs to look if it occurs in the church. That's what these are. These are instructions and a guide for the right use of spiritual gifts in the church. And there is no verse in the Bible that says they have ceased. And most guys would agree with all the gifts mentioned in Romans 12 and all the, the, the five-fold ministry gifts mentioned in Ephesians 4 and, and this list of nine gifts that we're going to walk through, most don't have any problem with any of them. Like miracles is one. Are we going to say that God doesn't do miracles anymore? Of course, we just saw a miracle this past week. Beverly Childs texted me. Mike's had some health issues. She texted me, I need you to pray, Brent. We want to pray for this specific thing to occur. And I sent that to all the elders, and we were praying for that specific thing to occur. And three days later, on a Wednesday, that one specific thing occurred. The doctor looks at Mike and says, it's not in your blood anywhere. You don't have to do chemo anymore, because that's what they had to decide. Praise God. Yeah. God is able to gift us in any way that he has always been gifting people for the greater good, the common good of his people. He wants to bless. Now, again, mankind, also out of the third wave stuff, cessationism uh, came out of it strongly through guys like John MacArthur. Somehow it's not in the Bible, but that stuff is all, well, let's not focus on these parts of the Bible anymore, which is an overreaction. The pendulum sw- had swung over to crazy, and now it's swung over to we're just not going to have any of it, but it needs to come into balance. There's, oh, the health and wealth prosperity gospel comes out of the third wave stuff. So much error. From people who may be sincere, but they're sincerely getting it wrong. Right? I tell people all the time, you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. I've been there before, amen? Anybody else humble enough to say, dude, I'm wrong all the time. I actually called myself a jackass last service, so watch out. (laughs) You never know what's coming. Lost four families. (laughs) It was all right, though. We needed to lose them. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love everybody. But there are, I mean, look, does God perform miracles? When we're sick, should we pray? Should we ask the elders to pray? Yes, that's all in the Bible. Does God heal everybody? No. My grandma died of cancer at 55, and not even Penny Hinn could save her. You know, sometimes it's just time for people to go and be with the Lord. In the Bible, Paul can't even heal him. Why did that thorn in the flesh? Paul, why didn't you just pray the prayer of faith? He did. It didn't work. Now, if Paul didn't have enough faith for his healing, come on. Paul left a guy named Trophimus because he was ready to travel and ready to go, but Trophimus was sick. And it doesn't say Paul prayed the prayer of faith because God's going to heal everybody if you have enough faith. No, he left him sick and went on. Timothy was sick. Paul writes to Timothy and says, hey, I know that stomach stuff you got going. Drink a little wine. (laughs) 
It's helpful for that. So a lot of air came out. So John MacArthur and others rightly had this chip on their shoulder and, and pushed all the young reformed guys to a cessationist position. But here's who we are here at Four Points. We've seen the bizarre. We've seen the weird. We don't want any part of that. But we want everything that God has for us. So we are open and cautious continuationists. Some of our favorite theologians, Wayne Grudem, his systematic theology, he talks a lot about this. D.A. Carson talks a lot about this. And, and even if you can't be a continuation, at least be like John Piper. John Piper is just, I love him because he's honest and he's authentic. He's like, man, I've always wanted to speak in tongues. I think that'd be cool. He was like, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. The Lord just never allowed me to speak in tongues, but I'd love to. I want everything God has for me. At least be like John Piper. Amen? Let's, let's start reading the text. <laughs> now concerning, this is something they are asking questions about. Now concerning spirit, the gifts of grace. Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to know the purpose and the origin of these gifts. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led. Paul emphasizing to the Corinthians. Bob Dylan was right. You're going to serve somebody. It, it may be the devil. It may be law. Somebody. I've been playing an air guitar. I don't know why. We are being led. Who is? We've talked about this. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Whose influence is out there directing and influencing culture? Satan himself. You can't sit at the table of the Lord and sit at the table of demons at the same time. And everybody that's doing whatever it is people are doing, they're being led and influenced by a spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. He's who we want to be influenced by because all the other spirits are the spirits of demons leading us away from Jesus. You know, I preached hard the last couple weeks, not because I dislike or want to get rid of everybody that would have a conviction to, to wear a head covering. I love you guys. I'm glad you're here. But I preach hard because I want people to be free in Jesus Christ and not be bound up in guilty consciences. I don't want young women feeling guilty like they're, they're doing something wrong and God doesn't love them as much unless they do this thing that they don't want to do. And I don't want young men to abuse and beat up on their wives and make them dress in a certain way that's not culturally appropriate for today when they can respect themselves and respect their husbands in other ways that do fit into our culture. I want them to be good husbands who understand the authority they've been given is to love and serve, not be dogmatic and beat up on. That's what I want. And man, if God called me to the Middle East to do ministry, I would look at Sarah and I would say, baby, it might be helpful if you dress like the women there. It might, it might be helpful for our gospel ministry. I wouldn't say, hey, you're going to wear this or else. That's a misuse. Number one, she'd punch me. Number two, <laughs> that's just a misuse 
of authority. But a lot of young reform guys, man, they're they just, King Kong. Serve. To, to have leadership responsibilities is to serve. Name one place in the Bible where Jesus doesn't pair leadership with servanthood. Every time he talks about leadership, if you're going to lead, you have to serve. He says it over and over. Why was John the Baptist the greatest? Because he said, I must decrease so that Christ must increase. It's all about serving and, and bringing people to Jesus. That's why I preach so hard. That's what I'm passionate about. I want people to be free in Christ and understand their roles and the responsibilities they have. It's not about head coverings at all. I'm not mad at anybody that wants to wear one. If it's your conviction, praise God for it. But don't be like those guys. What was I talking? Oh, because we're all being led by somebody. And the, the guy that wants to beat his chest and be the man, and you have to do what I say because I wear the pants, that's, that's not the Holy Spirit leading you in those attitudes. That's another spirit. Because that's how this works. And watch this. Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Jesus, uh, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What does the Spirit of God, how does the Holy Spirit, the originator of these gifts that are given, he's the one who gifts us with these gifts of grace, uh, what does his influence in our lives look like? It looks like making more out of Jesus, focusing us more on Jesus, uh, helping us understand that Jesus is Lord. He is God who lived a perfect human life and died in our place, for our sins, the Holy Spirit, all his role. Now understand, he's not less than Jesus. Holy Spirit is equally God, along with the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, along with the first person of the Trinity, who we just refer to as the Father, because that's how he refers to himself. The Father wills, and he, he, he wills, and he works through his son, Jesus, who is what well, the Holy Spirit comes along. And empowers and fills and baptizes uh, uh, us to make more out of Jesus. Any other spirit, anybody saying something bad about Jesus, that's not the spirit of God they're being let in. The Holy Spirit, the only thing he does is he leads us and brings us to Jesus. He's the one. Right? The Bible's very clear. Understand this verse. The Bible's very clear. Bring free will, free will, free will, free will, free will. Yeah, yeah, we all have free will. But we also have a hard, callous heart and a nature that is sinful. Because our nature is sinful and our heart is hard, we always use our free will to do the wrong thing. Romans chapter 3 is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 goes on to say, there is no one that seeks God, Every, all the unbelievers in the world are doing exactly what they want, using their free will to, to be their own gods, to make their own commands, to follow their own ways, just like we were until another spirit came and led us, a spirit that regenerated our hearts. This is what the Holy Spirit does. 
The Holy Spirit regenerates. He, he takes our hard heart and he makes it soft. He takes our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. And this new heart the Holy Spirit gives has new desires, different desires than we've ever had before. All of a sudden, grown men with beards uh, because of the influence of the Holy Spirit are saying, I love Jesus. I, I love Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. Jesus saves me from my sins. That doesn't come from us. And that doesn't come from demons. It can only come from one place. The Holy Spirit of God is at work making us love Jesus and honor Jesus and worship Jesus and want to follow Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit. Nobody's a Christian of their own volition. Nobody's a Christian because they were smart enough to pray a prayer. Nobody's a Christian because they're better than the person that's next to them. All people are Christians through the work of the Holy Spirit who gives them, empowers them to say, Jesus is Lord. See, salvation is the miracle. The gospel itself that saves is the Spirit's work. You don't become Spirit baptized sometime later because it takes the Spirit just to save. No one can say Jesus. No one is a Christian in their own power. It is the Holy Spirit who, who allows us to say Jesus is Lord. Now, there are varieties of gifts. Now watch this. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Three statements all saying the same thing. There are varieties of gifts, but there is one spirit, the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but there is the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Here we see a snapshot of our triune God and how he works together with himself to save us and to gift us in variety. There's lots of ways we do this. It's not just even the things mentioned here, the nine gifts in chapter 12. It's not just, you know, there's about around 30 gifts mentioned with the, the five gifts in Ephesians 4 with the gift list in Romans 12. But that doesn't mean those are the only gifts God gives. There's a variety of ways we serve one another. And it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all together working in us to, to serve one another, to minister to one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another. Because God loves his people. He wants to encourage you. He wants to build you up in your faith. He will use, this is where I said that donkey word, he'll use a guy like me to do it. Right? It's, it's for you. You know, so many young guys think pulpit ministry is lights and platform and stage. It's none of that. It's not about the preacher at all. That's why God will use a donkey if he has to. It's about his word going forth. Because when we come together, God wants to do a work in you. He loves you. This is about you. It's about him working in you. He wants to do it. And there's lots of ways it happens. You know, when you're, you're having a baby, how many young mothers we got in here? It's how many of you remember 
with kids, how hard it is with, with babies and backpacks and diaper bags and strollers and all the stuff that comes with a baby. My poor sister, she still had one in diapers and uh, she got pregnant and had twins. She had three babies all in diapers, three feedings, three diaper changes, three diaper bags, bigger strollers. Blah. Isn't it a beautiful thing, though, to take a young mother who has worked harder than anybody all week long to nurture and care for those children. And she needs the gospel. She needs encouragement in the Lord. And, and one of you will hold her baby in the nursery so she can come in and with no distractions hear from the word of God and feast from the, the table of the Lord, his body and his blood. That is a gift. That's ministry. People come up to me all the time and they say, say, Brandon, you don't want me back there. Yes, I do. Anybody can hold a baby ding dong. And it's ministering. So that, that young mom, that young dad, they can have a moment to breathe and hear the gospel. For the older kids, it's, it's proclaiming the gospel to them, helping them learn to articulate the gospel so that when they do decide to get baptized and they have those conversations with their parents, they know what they're doing. It's not just some church thing, oh, we do this because we go to church. No, they, they know the gospel to be part of. You know what I love to see? Sarah all the time. She asked, uh, she'll, she'll show me some picture. And do you, you see this? I taught this little kid when they were in Trek. And, right, she's watched all these kids grow up. It's, it's special to her to be, have that involvement in their lives. By the way, did I ever finish that if God called me to the Middle East thing? I really wanted to brag on my wife. I would never make her dress in a way she didn't want to. But if I asked her, I think this will help. She'd, I know it. She wouldn't even have to pray about it. She'd say, of course. Of course I'll do that. If it helps the gospel, I got no problems. That's the way a marriage should look. That's a point from way back ago. So back to varieties of gifts. There's lots of ways to serve. Well, Brent, I just don't, I don't feel led. We got a box of bullets in the back. Take one on your way out so you can put it in your pocket. and You can reach in there and you can feel led. We should want all the gifts that come from God's grace that will help us serve one another, minister to one another, encourage one another. I, 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 you know, I'm introverted, so I, I don't like to talk. Believe it or not, God made me a preacher. I don't know why. But ask my wife. She, she, wants, she likes to talk. She uses lots of words. I shake my head or I grunt. Uh, I, don't, I don't use a lot of words outside of Sunday mornings. She hates it, by the way. But, but I have realized how important it is to use words in other people's lives. You don't know who you are to other people. You don't know how they see you. You don't know how meaningful it is just to call somebody up and say, hey, man, I was thinking about you. How are you doing? 
It actually means a great deal to the people on the receiving end of the phone call that someone is praying for them. Someone is thinking about them. Someone just wants to, to reach out. Uh, uh, about every three months, Zorn Moore will, will give me a call and I see his name on my phone. That's one of those names you love to see on your phone. He calls me, he's like, hey man, how you doing? Well, you know, I matter in the midget with yo-yo, but how, how are you doing? He's got all these little sayings. He's like, hey, Dad's playing out. Can you come out and watch? Right? He's just thinking. It, it brings a smile to my face when I got a, a brother, a friend who's thinking about me. Now, there's some of your names that pop up on my phone. I just put it back in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but his isn't one of them. Listen, God wants, there's no one in this room that's exempt. God wants to gift you so that you can be a better brother or sister to the people who are around you in Christ as you are in Christ. God has a plan for his church. God has a plan for his people. He wants to bless us, mature us, grow us. So that we can help one another. Some of you know when you come home from the hospital, you got some tragedy that's happening to your life. You know how important these meal trains are. Man, we've got some of the best people in the world. And it's always the same people. Let me make a meal. We'll fill you up for two weeks. You'll have supper every night when you're in a hard place. And it's just, it's a blessing. Now, the Bible doesn't say it's a spiritual gift to make meals, but, but it is a gift. It is God's Spirit causing us to want to be involved in the help and the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're sitting in the room and you're like, I don't ever feel like helping anybody, right? The Holy Spirit at work in you should make you want to be more involved, want to be a part of the hands and feet of Jesus and what he is doing in this world because the work of the Holy Spirit is always, it's never about a gift. You know, the problem with Pentecostal is tongue, 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 tongue. It's all about tongues. That's just one out of nine. And anything should lift up Jesus. That's what the Holy if you're doing something like the Corinthians are doing, they're shining the spotlight on themselves. They're saying, look at my gift. Look at what God has enabled me to do. Me, 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 look at me. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's another spirit. The Holy Spirit always makes everything about Jesus. How can you know moving forward when we start talking about these gifts? How can you know if God has given you a gift, the Holy Spirit has empowered you with a gift, uh, how do you know if you're using it well? Does it make much of Jesus? When you take a meal over to somebody's home who is in need, that person is thinking, man, God is real. God loves even me. He would, he would cause a, a Christian brother, a Christian sinner to serve me in this way when I really need it. When they get that mail, they are thanking God for the help you're giving. When we make it, when we make much of Jesus, we know we're doing it right. This is why the origin, this is the purpose of why God gives these gifts to the church. Let's read the last verse. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. The manifestation. We should see something happening. 
It's what the word manifestation means. We should see each other serving one another with the gifts that God has given us. And every one of you, you, again, you're not exempt. You have been gifted by God to serve, to pray for, to encourage, to speak a kind word, to hug a neck, give a holy kiss. Man, when I went to Bulgaria, I have never been holy kissed so much in my life. Right? With, you are not the only one this sermon is not for. Because God loves the person sitting next to you and the person sitting behind you and the person sitting in front of you. And you are part of his plan to be filled with his spirit to serve and love. Like the Roman Empire, the leaders of the Roman Empire, they looked at the church and they exclaimed, look how they love one another. That is why the Holy Spirit gifts us so that we can do well and love one another, making much of Jesus. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us well. God, thank you for giving us everything we need to love one another well. Lord Jesus, thank you that when we obey your word and serve one another, it makes much of you and draws more people to Jesus. It is in Jesus' name we pray this prayer of thanksgiving. And every Christian said, amen.